with me now to Luke chapter 19, the gospel of Luke chapter 19. And you have, in fact, already heard this reading, but we are going to read it again because it's worth hearing again. This is the story of the triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they sat or, or they, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the ground, on the road, as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Lord Jesus, we pray that we too would rejoice and praise you with loud voice today in our hearts, with our lips. May this word sink deep within us now, we pray in your name. Amen. As you know, we've been in a series called Listen to Him. And we have a book resource that is for you at the back. And we've got one more week to be in the book. So certainly grab it. It's not too late to join in. In this series, we've been focused on hearing Jesus Christ. And this is something, of course, that should be done, be done regularly and, and all the time. But particularly during this holiest week in the Christian calendar. This is, after all, Palm Sunday and is the beginning of Holy Week, as we call it. It is holy because of the holy acts that Jesus did this week that we recount and we remember in certain services and in our readings, in our praying. And so this Listen to Him series has gone from the Transfiguration Mountain to another mountain now. For Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, which is on a mountain. And we are told as much here in the text. The first thing that we encounter are several images and symbols that tell us a little bit about what this day meant. And just like today when you walked in, you see palm branches on the ground. You see palm branches all over. Maybe you see stones here on the table. Maybe if you've got your glasses on, you can see olives here plucked from a Russian olive tree that has never produced olives that produce this year. 
Maybe you see those olives there. And there are certain symbols here in this story that indicate to us why people were praising on this day. Why they were rejoicing. Almost a spontaneous overcoming of praise and loud shouting. So much as to say they were even taking off their cloaks, laying them in the ground, on the ground before him, along with palm branches, which is a symbol of the temple. In the temple, there would have been impressed in the stone palm branches. So what is happening here is not by accident. And what we're doing here today is not by accident. It may seem as if we're just doing something just to do it here on this Palm Sunday, which is not true. We're doing a ritual, yes, that points us to a reality. And that's what ritual should do. And we all have our rituals. If you go to a football game, they have their rituals. I, you know, I remember going to an Alabama game, and here you are with 100,000 crazy people you know, in this stadium. And before they started the game, they, they did this ritual that they do where they show all the times where Alabama has won. So that takes you know, five hours of the time, right? Just kidding. Um, but it recounts all the winning moments. Why? Because it's a ritual to set you on the right course, right? I mean, you don't just start the game. You, you instead do something that is powerful and memorable and ritualistic to start the game. Anything that is of great significance has this sort of ritual to it. This is why when you decide to get married, it's actually going to include some ritual. Even if it's in Vegas, it's going to include some ritual. Because you're doing something significant. And on this day, on this Palm Sunday, things are happening that are significant. And it is lost upon probably most of the people there. But it is not lost upon Jesus. And it does not have to be lost upon us today. There are some indicators here that I just want to point out briefly. One is the direction that Jesus is going. He's going from east to west. Almost as if he is going into the temple, which he will in fact do. And so he's moving from Bethphage, we are told, and Bethany, which is on the eastern slope, up toward Jerusalem, where, of course, the temple of God is. And so just as the temple was set up, you had the eastern gate, right, that you entered. And then you came to certain ritualistic symbols, like the laver, the brazen altar, the outer court, then to the holy place and the holy of holies. This directional move Jesus is doing intentionally. As you've noticed, as you've read the Gospels before, that Jesus oftentimes will say things like, don't tell anybody about what we just did. It's almost like this anti-PR campaign where he's saying, shh, don't tell anybody. Even the Transfiguration, remember? They are told, wait until after I die to share this. Not here. Not once Palm Sunday hits. When he rides into Jerusalem, he's doing it on purpose. He is going to incite the religious leaders. And he is going to be clear about what he is doing. This is why upon being asked, get them to stop, Lord. They're saying that you're God. He refuses to. He doesn't slip quietly past them as he had before. Instead, he's being intentional with his direction. In a way, he's moving from Egypt to Jerusalem. 
which is an east-west movement. Which actually is a west-east movement, forgive me. And so he goes from Egypt, where he, remember, rode on a donkey with his parents to escape. Now he rides into Jerusalem in an, east, in an eastward motion. And he is coming not to escape, but to save. And so this directional change is important. Not only that, the donkey is important. The donkey's important. Now, if you, you know, here's the thing. It's tough for us to, like, we don't think that a donkey is just this great animal, right? I mean, you probably are more like, oh, look, kids, there's the horses, rather than there's the donkey, you know? These things look weird. They make funny sounds. You know I mean? It's like, what was that? Have you never heard one before? It's quite remarkable, really, the sounds that they make. Uh, they're known to be just this beast of slavery. Uh, so much so that, um, that Chesterton wrote a poem that I'll, that I'll share in just a moment. But here's the reality of, of it for Israel. Is for Israel's sake, kings rode on mules and donkeys. They were really the workhorse animals of the day. And here's what's, and so I, in my mind I thought, how can, how can we relate that to our own, like, president or world religious leader? And it's like, I all of a sudden thought, it's like a limousine. Like, who rides in a limousine? You know what I mean? Like, that's, I, I, at least I don't know, maybe, maybe you've ridden in a limousine, maybe you, that's still a big thing. I, I don't hear it as big of a thing as it was, like, in the 80s and 90s, you know what I mean? 80s and 90s, like, yeah, we rode in a limousine, went to prom, you know? It's like, I don't really hear that much anymore. However, the president's still cruising in a limousine, you know? And so I think, I think maybe in the same way, it's it, the beast of burden, the donkey, was this animal that was, it was just the standard thing. Like, a horse can get wild and crazy, but a donkey... It's going to be pulled. It's the stubbornest animal, and it was used to carry kings, all of David's sons, etc., etc. G.K. Chesterton wrote a poem called The Donkey. Here it is. He says this, When fishes flew and forests walked and figs grew upon thorn, some moment when the moon was blood, then surely I was born. With monstrous head and sickening cry and ears like errant wings, the devil's walking parody... On all four-footed things, the tattered outlaw of the earth, of ancient crooked will, starve, scourge, deride me, I am dumb, I keep my secret still. Fools, for I also had my hour, one far fierce hour and sweet, there was a shout about my ears and palms before my feet." The Lord can use even the dumbest of us, can he? I'm a testament to that. Yeah, thanks, Frank. <laughs> remember, this is a, when I went to Haiti, remember, this is a, I agree with you, right? So if you agree, it's okay to do that or just say, I mean, nobody wants to say amen, I'm the dumbest, you know. But, but it, is, it is the truth of the matter sometimes that we are the donkey. We're the stubborn ones. And yet we too can have our moment with Christ. We too can celebrate on this day, just as this donkey did, and, uh, and be the beast of burden for the hour. Not only that, we see oil and anointing. Oil on this day, and you say, where does this come from? It comes from the Mount of Olives. Now, in the, in the text, and we don't have time to go into it, but in the text, Mount Olives, Bethany, and Bethphage, they all have imagery of olive trees 
which was a huge thing in that the wine press, all of this kind of stuff, is, is big. And, and, you know, it's, it's very emblematic, if you will, when you crush one of these olives, you know, which is, which is actually what they would do. They would crush it with a, with a grinding stone that they would oftentimes pull. Same thing with uh, a wine press. I mean, it gets pretty nasty, really. Uh, I don't know if I can get it to where you guys can see it here, but if I crush that dude, it just smears everywhere, right? And Jesus, <laughs> I don't think the symbolism is to be lost upon us. He is the anointed one. In other words, the crushed one. And Gethsemane means oil press. Where do you get oil? From olives. He is going to be pressed this week in the garden of Gethsemane. And at times we are pressed as well. Just in what he goes to when he's pressed, prayer. Not my will, but thine. Not only that, there's temple imagery here where he's going in to inspect the temple. And so we have all the things, prophet, priest, kings, all these, this symbolism from the Old Testament is coming to life because once Jesus rides into Jerusalem, he's changing everything. But he's changing everything that has been set up in the Old Testament. It is, again, as a testament to why we need to understand what is going on in the Old Testament because Jesus comes in that line. And now he's changing fundamentally these symbols that we still have. We still have the oil. We still have the water. These are, these are priestly images for us. The meal, the table, all of this. It is all coming together. And so what I want to say then, after simply just setting up the scene for you of what was going on that day, because they started, they started praising God by waving these things and by laying down their coats. And what they're doing is getting caught up into worship. And this happens sometimes. You know, there are, there are times when, when you realize that something's going on. You may not understand all of what is going on, but you know that you're caught in something that is greater than you. Maybe greater than what you can understand, but you realize the moment. Have you ever had these moments? Maybe, maybe you've walked into something that's amazing and you, you had no clue that it was there. I mean, I've had this sort of thing happen to me uh, even recently when we went to D.C. You know, you go to the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier and, and there's this moment where it's like, oh, this, this is kind of neat and whatever. But then when they, when they do the exchange and when all this is happening, there's silence and there's just this moment of, of ritual that's powerful. And, and even if you kind of wanted to, to do something funny, you feel like it's inappropriate at that point. And even my kids felt the weight of the moment, which is, which is interesting, getting, getting caught up into something that's been going on for a long time. And imagine the worship of God, of how long this has been going on. Every Sunday ought to be a Palm Sunday where we get caught up in the act of worship. Where all of a sudden, maybe even spontaneously, we just break out in worship and rejoicing and loud shouting and waving. Thank you. At least somebody uh, believes that we should do that from time to time. We should get caught up in the act. And you know, in a way, yesterday, I, this happened to me. I, uh, I didn't even know that I was, I, I'd signed up for this race. It was a duathlon where you do three miles, 16, three, three mile run, 16 mile bike ride, and then a three mile run. And, and I'd signed up for it and then, you know, sort of hoped it would rain. You know what I'm saying? Um, and it did rain. <laughs> but unfortunately, the, the fine print was that it had the lightning before they called off the, 
the race, you know, and so I should have prayed better, you know what I mean? Uh, prayed more specifically, but I ended up, uh, you know, waking up, and I didn't feel like going and doing anything, but I was like, you know what, there's going to be a lot of people out there. Um, I just, I'll go out there and just maybe get a t-shirt. If I'm not feeling like it, I'll just grab my t-shirt and head back home, you know, go get into bed or whatever on a rainy day. And instead, I got caught up in the moment. Once I got there, of course, you know, everybody's buzzing around, everybody's stretching and kind of running and getting, you know, and, and there's music playing. And, and all of a sudden, I caught, I found myself like getting excited, like, oh yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to do this thing, even though I haven't even ridden my bike this year. I'm going to do this thing, you know, the, actually the first one of my neighbors that's here today, they, uh, they saw me ride my bike. That was the first time I've been on my bike all year long, and it was just a cruise around the neighborhood, you know. So I wasn't even prepared for 16 miles, and, and I've never even ran six miles in one day. And so I was, I was not really prepared, and what the Lord kind of taught me uh, yesterday and over into today is, is, you know what, sometimes you're just not prepared in life. You, know, you kind of come into a service, and you're not really feeling it. Maybe today's not your day, you know, you woke up on the wrong side of the bed or whatever it was. The storms kept you up late like they did me and kids worried and down there sleeping on the couch and everywhere else. And maybe it's just not a good day for you. But all of a sudden you find yourself getting caught in something that's bigger than you. And all of a sudden you say, man, what in the world has happened? And, and, and there's something in us. Don't repress that. It's the Holy Spirit wanting to, to rejoice with you. And we need to let ourselves get caught up in the moment, in a worshipful moment, in a triumphal moment where we declare no matter how we feel, where we start taking off our coat no matter how we feel and say, you know what, something's happening here that I need to stand up and take note of, that, I'm, that I want to join into. I mean, the same sort of thing has happened to me at a, at a football game. You know, we're all, I wasn't even there for that particular team, but I was there with a friend, and I started shouting whatever kind of stuff they shout there. You know, they shout different things, different places, you know, rise up, or, you know, hoot at, or whatever, roll tide, you know, war eagle. And, and, and we get caught up in the moment. I, that's what I'm saying. It's happening here with these people, and it should happen to us. We shouldn't just all of a sudden say, well, I don't know what all is going on. I don't understand all this, so therefore, I'm not going to do it. I'm saying, look, there's palms on the floor, there's praise in the air, join in. Join in. That's what he's inviting us to. I was impacted this past week, Jessica and I both were actually, from a show that we watched that, uh, that, I, that had a, just this, it wasn't, I mean, it, was, it wasn't really a surprise ending, but the ending was surprising. Let me put it that way. The show had gone on a little ways, and then, but the way it ended was just, I, I was, it was one of those moments where I was just like, wow, something amazing just happened. And, and it was a poem. Here's what it says. We did not ask for this room or this music. We were invited in. Therefore, because the dark surrounds us, let us turn our faces toward the light. Let us endure hardship to be grateful for plenty. We've been given pain to be astounded by joy. We've been given life to deny death. We did not ask for this room or this music, but because we are here, let us dance. You know what? Sometimes we don't ask to be where we are in life. We didn't ask for that certain kind of music to be being played. But we find ourselves there. What do we do when we find ourselves there? We look toward the light. 
We don't look to the darkness. We don't look just within. The answer is not within. The answer is not within. Instead, we look up in praise to God. There's something that happens that the Bible invites us into when we purposefully praise and worship God. Friend, if you are a Christian, you are called to praise and worship God. One of the unique things about being Christian is singing. It is. Muslims do not sing. They recite. They don't sing. They do poetry, which sounds like singing. That's why you hear, oh, yeah, like, oh, yeah. That's, it's not singing. It's actually recitation, which is what Quran means. No, we don't just recite as if we are chanting. We sing. We sing loud. And we praise and rejoice in Christ Jesus, our Savior. No matter what music is being played, we sing. And if the music of this world is too loud, we sing louder. You see, that's the point. We don't just stop singing and say, well, they've got it louder. No, we turn it up. Shouting is what the text says. That's inappropriate even in our... I mean, we're like, hey, hey, chill out now. Hopefully you're not going to give an example of that. E dot G dot comma. Shout! You know? <laughs> it's like, hey, chill out, buddy. Um, is everything okay? Well, no, not everything is okay in the world, is it? And sometimes we need to have a holy discontent about life. And instead, we repress our feelings and we repress what shouldn't be repressed. Instead, we should sing. We should sing. Listen, there is darkness in our world. There is evil. And what we find is that darkness and that evil runs right through us. If we let ourselves, we can find ourselves all of a sudden, even just as spontaneous as worship can be, we can spontaneously find ourselves in a dark, dark place. This has happened to too many friends of mine. Too many people that I love. It's one month I call them, I talk to them, and they're okay. And the next month, they're not okay at all. And they've dropped into a dark, dark place. And maybe we could think of it as, as a black hole. You know, this, just this past week, they, uh, they, they took a picture. Well, they took a picture. It's been, they've been working on it for six years, apparently. But, but they got the picture out of this, of this black hole. And it was a big news thing or whatever. This w- Self-centeredness. Self-interest. Or as the Bible would just simply say, self. Is a black hole. There is no feeding you. There's never enough. There never will be enough. And it leads to Darkness. And I don't understand all of what a black hole does, but I know it eats things and they don't return. It takes big things and makes them very, very small. It eats up time and space somehow, which is an anomaly. 
you say, well, man, I know that darkness. Because I'm telling you, friend, I know it. I've seen it in me. I've seen it in people that I love. The only answer to a black hole for us, this black hole within us, is to look to the light. I've got the best news that I possibly could tell you, and that is there is hope. For a soul turned inward that just absorbs everything as evil and nothing and leads to nothing, there is hope. Go to the next slide there. uh, And you'll see a picture that was painted years ago. And this this is a picture of hope. Represents hope. And you see a lady here on this sphere, and she is blindfolded. Because when you're in a dark place, man, you can't see. You can't see up from down, left to right. Now, it's hard to see in the picture, but she's got a harp in her hand, and she has one string left. All the strings are torn. She's got one string left. And above her shoulder, really straight above her shoulder there, is a star in the sky. You can, I mean, it's like, the, it's like when you uh, see in the evening the first star. You can barely make it. It's like, oh, yeah, that is a star. There's this star there. And this represents hope. This, this painting represents hope. And I think it's a powerful symbol to, number one, look to the light. And number two, as long as we've got one string left, let's sing Let's rejoice. And you know what's even crazier? I just think this is neat, and some of you nerds out there may or may not think it's neat. But um, can't find my piece of paper now. Maybe I left it somewhere. But get this. Also, as part of that story. Oh, here it is. It's part of that story that came out in 2003. Get this. Oh, I love this. In 2003, an international team led by an X-ray astronomer, blah, 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 whatever, NASA's yada, 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 observatory. Get this. They heard a black hole. It sang, they said. This is science. I mean, this is science right here. You can look this up. Black holes can sing. Just look that up. Google it. Here's, here's what. It's a B-flat note, 57 octaves below middle C. I have no idea. That's a foreign language to me, okay? But I'm just going to tell you what it says here. 57 octaves below middle C appeared as a sound, as sound waves that emanated from explosive events at the edge of a supermassive black hole in the galaxy NGC 1275. Doesn't that sound smart? Here's what, here's what matters. If black holes can sing and praise God, this black hole right here can. I am nothing without Christ, just like a black hole leads to nothing. And yet, this black hole here, because of Jesus Christ, can sing today and sing and rejoice, I will do. I may not always know what I'm doing. I may not even know what key I'm on, okay? But I'm going to sing and rejoice and get caught up into something that is greater than me. Does anybody want to be invited into that kind of story? A story where you didn't start it, but you find yourself in the middle of it. You're not going to end it. 
It's going to keep going beyond you. We won't be the ones to end it, but we must do our part in the story. That's what we're called to. That's what we're invited into. And that, friend, is something to sing about. The scripture says in a host of verses that I don't want to bore you with, but I just want to point to, I don't know how many, uh, it's like, I've got like 12 here. That if I were to read them all, let me just read just a few here. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, like black holes. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. For the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night Reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. On and on in the scriptures. Nature is trying to tell us something. And Jesus tells us, when asked by the religious people, hey buddy, settle down the people. It's getting a little too crazy in here. Right? Looks like I would, ta, 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 chill out buddy. I mean, he was getting after it. Whipping through the wind. About to knock his sister's eyeball out. We say, hey, hey, whoa, whoa, chill out. And Jesus says, if you don't cry out, the rocks will. Everything points to Jesus. Does your life? We're the only creatures that can choose not to point to him in our singing. Friend, join the song, the song of the redeemed. (laughs) The song of those who have been turned from inward to outward, just like being pressed like an olive. So too, we give ourselves for the sake of the world because that's what our Lord and Master himself did and set a pattern for. The cross is glorious. And what Jesus did changed everything, even in the past. You say, how in the world could something in the future change the past? Have you never watched a movie where you thought you knew what was going on and some event at the very end changed everything of which You understood the story as before. You know what? Jesus changed the story 
when he did what he did. That's why it was for joy that he went to the cross. Because he knew, even though no one else understood, he knew what he was doing. And he knew that he was about to fundamentally change everything. Has he changed everything in you? Has he started helping you sing a new song in your heart? Friend, don't look to the darkness. Don't look in. Look out. Look up. Rejoice. Sing, even though it doesn't feel like it. Even though it may not seem right. Even though you don't understand it. Sing. Rejoice. It is the way of Christians. Because it is the way of Christ. Is he the king of your heart today? I've got good news. If he's not, he can be. And that is today. It doesn't take a long process. It takes you turning to the light. The light is shining. Will we turn to him or will we continue to live on the edge of the abyss? Let us look to Christ who is the light. And all that he has for us, even this week, this very day, friend, we are the redeemed. And so I'm going to ask Rachel here in just a moment to lead us in another song where we sing from our heart. If you want to shout, that's fine. If you want to whip this thing around, that's fine. We're going to let you do it. Just don't hit anybody, okay? Most importantly, friend, is he the king of your heart? Is he on the throne? Can you say that he is Lord? I sure hope so. If not, join me here at the altar as we go to the Lord and pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.